0: Network.com.
1: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DD Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club, the Tome of the D&D News, Reviews, and Interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley.
0: And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each Book Club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in a full Book Club style, and our book this time around is Of Dice and Men by David M. Ewalt.
1: So we read the first half of this book, it's about the history of Dungeons and & Dragons, and next month we'll read the second half and talk to the author as well. Uh, so... Dyson Men is written to both teach the long standing D&D fans a bit of history about their hobby, uh, but more so, it's supposed to be an introduction for the non gamers to learn what the hobby is.
0: And now we're going to talk through it and find out. Uh, at least how the first half does in this mission. So so we sort of laid out that, that it's accompli- trying to accomplish two things, right? Or at least the, the I think it was in the introduction or in the first chapter he, he mentions that that's sort of the two things he's trying to do, right? He's hoping that, that D&D fans will, and, and I think he, he even uses the term old, the old grognards, um, will get a little something out of this and learn something they didn't may not have already known. Uh, but it's really intended to be a, an introduction for non-gamers. Um, so let's start with the D&D fans because... We're all D and D fans, and it's easier for us to put our, put that hat on. Uh, how meaningful is this for us as D and D fans so far? Oh well, hi, Eric here. Oh yeah, oh Eric's <laughs> joining us. As you, I, I didn't even think to introduce you because you're always here.
2: <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I, I'm a staple that I join straight from whatever planet that Jeff <laughs> <I> came from. <up. laughs> but as uh, a uh, as a D and D fan, uh, it is a interesting scene because he flips between telling the history and also telling how he got into the hobby mm-hmm. and his experiences and all that. So it's, it's fun reading it and also it sort of gives a perspective a bit like what the Gamer to Gamer uh, series does mm. of how people got in and what their games are playing and stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. Tracy, you're a D anD D fan who, who's been really into the hobby in recent years, and and was previously around the hobby a lot. Are you getting a lot out of this book? Um,
1: I don't know. Uh, I think it's been interesting. Like, I, there's definitely been a lot of name dropping that I picked up on, and it was kind of cool. Uh, I had known from other things I read some of this history, uh, so like, I guess if I I didn't know that, I probably would get more out of it. Uh, and then I also found the the I don't know if it's a whole chapter but the the rather large section on wargaming mm-hmm. to be kind of an interesting ad i like I totally understand why it's there because of how important it is to the his, history and development of mm-hmm. d d but it, the the amount of detail is it was kind of interesting too
0: hmm no absolutely i i I always sort of like I don't know that I had this this story laid out for in my head properly as a narrative like. I don't know that I'm hearing anything that's surprising me. And I say here because I'm listening to the audiobook. Um, and so I don't know that, I, that there's anything that's surprising me. But at the same time, like, taking all these tidbits and pieces of the history of the game that I've heard throughout the years and laying them out in order and telling, using it to tell a narrative of the history of the game is actually helping me better comprehend sort of how it all came about. So as, yeah. a, as a, and maybe it's I'm predisposed to enjoy history as well as a, as a historian yeah. but
2: well it tells more the, the story of it through a narrative compared to a, a book like uh, Designers and Dragons, which actually tells more at true a factual but also all the facts of it mm-hmm. of the, the various organization as it goes along yeah certainly indeed
1: mm-hmm. I, I yeah and I think too like one of the things i I kind of have in because I'm also listening to to the audiobook, is that the message that I keep giving the back of my mind is that this is kind of just one version of history in part because he's tying it to his own experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of, there, there are other parts of D and D history that are just being left out.
0: Well, yeah. and, and if I can put my historian hat on, um, that's true of every history of everything yes. you've ever read. So yeah. no, no, I totally every,
1: agree. Every history is
0: only one version of it. That's right. why that's why historians still have jobs.
1: Yeah. I, I, and I totally agree there, but it's just it's being presented as like a kind of. To me, I thought it was being presented as like a, a complete history or a more complete, given the, its narrative structure. Mm. And I just feel like there's there's a decent bit left out.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I felt like he was attempting to be a, a complete history because he's very specifically says this is not for the heart. This is not. While he hopes the, the hardcore gamer will get something out of it, that is not the intended audience. The intended audience is to to bring non-gamers into the story and help them sort of understand what's going on. Mm. Which you're not going to do that with a, a in-depth, detailed, complete history of but, the of But the that's game. not what I'm talking
1: about. I, like In-depth, I, I agree, you wouldn't get new, um, non-gamers in as much, but it's also only focusing on, on people who mostly identify as nerdy. Or yes. teenage boys, or mm-hmm. something like that, who started gaming. There aren't a lot of the other groups that are yeah. talked about. Oh again. yeah, yeah,
0: okay, I see what yeah. you're saying. So, so it's <laughs> less about the the way he's presenting the history that yeah. you that that you're uh, talking about. It's more about um, the depiction of gamers in the in the narrative.
2: Yeah. He also, I find, based on the first half, he focuses a lot on Gary Gygax. For all the, the stuffing
1: holes.
0: Yeah, he actually starts with Dave Arneson, but then the the, the narrative kind of flips very quickly to be gygax focused.
1: Yeah. yeah, which, which
0: maybe is fair given the way the history sort of plays out, but
1: and including um, the tidbit about like Arneson not having his job after a while because of perhaps not participating as much. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to quite say that diplomatically.
0: Well, there was there's a moment where where. TSR and, and D&D specifically are sort of blowing up and, and Arneson is, is working in the company. But they but he sort of tells the story that... that uh, and he says, according to some of the reports or whatever, nobody will truly ever know, but according to many of the reports and, and interviews and what have you, um, Arneson wasn't really doing very much and eventually they just sort of let him go because he was taking right. up space and pulling a paycheck and without doing much work.
2: Right. Well, from what, from, from what I was hearing, it was that he was doing work, but the work was... He was slow to slow to work compared to others, and the work that he was pro- providing required lots
0: and lots of edits, yeah. so. which which sort of implies he's not doing very good work, right? Yeah. So, 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 so yeah, yeah. I,
1: yeah, And he can contra- contrast that with uh, Gygax, who I think had multiple bylines in the magazine and mm-hmm. and was just putting out. Uh, Prejudice amounts
0: of work. Yeah, although he he's he's not shy to talk about Gygax's fault either. I don't feel like he's necessarily putting Gygax on a pedestal as he tells the story, um, and I don't know that he's necessarily like taking sides on the Gygax versus Arneson narrative. And I guess we'll find out more because I think very shortly after where we stopped is where they get into that conflict.
2: Uh, yeah, the, the the chapter nine, which is the, will be in our part two.
0: Mm-hmm. The title of it is. Uh, Gygax versus Arneson right. so, so. so I think we're going to get into sort of that in, in a bit I, at this point I don't know that he's necessarily taking a side uh, and and we'll find out as we get into the next chapter I guess but uh, I sort of feel like he's he's at least sort of the way he's laying it out he's implying that at this point in the development of the game uh, and the company itself Gygax was a lot more involved right yeah Now, Tracy, you you brought up uh, a question that I was going to ask anyway. Um, How do we feel about the depiction of gamers, Um, either historically, um, which I I suppose can be at least somewhat quantified and and probably um, is is a different issue, uh, but um, also how he he sort of um, expresses or describes gamers uh, generally as a culture?
1: yeah i don't know i i think this is a difficulty i've had overall in in our greater community is that i definitely hear from uh, a lot of people particularly guys who have had an experience similar to his Mm -hmm. but like i never growing up my brother played i was a a geek or nerd in other ways and, and um it never seemed like you play you play video games you're you're weird or if you play d and d you're weird um we were weird for other reasons so that's the the thing, like i I don't know i i my personal friends have never been afraid of saying that they play d and d so that's kind of like the hard part for me is that it seems like it's very much about his experience and kind of generalizing that out maybe I think too much well and and I mean
0: and that may be yeah maybe the the issue is is the the generalization of it right um yeah because he he is speaking very much about his experience, and his experience isn't so dramatically different from my own that I don't identify right i i had similar a lot of similar experiences in my in my gaming uh history I, I had less um well maybe i was um maybe I was ostracized for it as, uh, through high school or whatever. But I was being ostracized anyway, so <laughs> just because I was, you know a geek, right? Um, hey. playing d and d wasn't the reason. it was just one of the other things on the list um, and 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 what have you. But there was a lot of other things that he talks about and um that i can I can sort of identify with and and I get um, I don't, and at the same time, I didn't have some of those experiences also. so
2: yeah for me, if I never had those experiences of being ostracized. i when I started gaming when I was high school you now and but I've have seen folks that had sort of the those experiences or or seem to imply because i mm. I've had uh neighbors who were interested into playing the game and trying out the game and but uh parents were very very highly religious and they were all worried about that aspect so mm. Basically, what happened is, since my my parents were friends with their parents, my parents just invited them. Because so I told my parents, so my parents, I had my parents knew what I was doing. I showed them and all that, and they understood it was a game because they like games. They like my mom likes Monopoly, my my dad likes to play play, play cards. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so I grew up in, in playing games. So basically, invited them. The par- the parents already had that concern, showed in the book, showed in it was a game, showed it was just pure just have fun, all that, and they they find it was acceptable and they got to play.
0: Yeah, see. I lived in those households, uh, and um had to hide my hobby from my parents for a long, huh. long time. And and I've you know, obviously I don't hide it from them now, but it's also yeah. not like a topic of conversation that comes sure. up. Like it is not a conversation that that I ever had with my family. I just sort of don't care anymore because I don't live with them, right? So
1: yeah, and I, and I know like Fred for a long time would tell his parents that we were having poker night instead of <laughs> playing D mm-hmm. uh, and D, um, and like other people I can think of like Jared, his parent, his I think his books got taken away from him when he was a kid because mm-hmm. of the whole concern about the satanic thing. Oh, yeah.
0: My my first uh, D&D books, I covered the the top of the those old second edition books with electrical tape because that's what I had handy so that you couldn't see that it said Dungeons & Dragons on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, but also, like, I, I have a question for Eric in a way. I've, I've heard that the clickishness that he... Kind of talks about in the book in regards to school uh, is more of an American phenomenon than some other places, and I just was sh- wasn't sure if you felt that way or not.
2: Yeah, well, watch i mean, I grew up watching American shows, and you're seeing all the clicks, like the the, the football people, the cheerleaders, the all of that in all the shows. That just the clicks. And, all, and when I was in high school, it was like when i went to high school i was sort of expecting that but when i got there I was like no we, people will move about they talk they interact and all that i mean you form friends you hang up with them so uh, you never really had the click of that sort of that those class tra- strata mm-hmm. within the, within the school so it probably is highly a highly more american thing mm then then from my experience a Canadian thing or I maybe mean, French Canadian thing I mean. that maybe I me
0: mean, close I was gonna say you know we never really had a, a true aristocracy as our as a country right and so maybe the uh, the formation of cliques is our natural uh, inclination to do that but Canada never really had an aristocracy either so <laughs>
2: Brenda just listened, and she basically confirmed that for her being in English in school, they didn't have the clicks either, too. Mm. So it probably is more of an American thing.
0: Interesting. Uh, So we haven't really talked about how the book relates to non-gamers. And obviously none of of us have the perspective of being non-gamers reading this book. Uh, But I'm curious... If you think it is, if it is a good introduction to non gamers, if this is the kind of thing that a non gamer is going to read and and understand the hobby and be interested in reading more,
2: I think he makes some possible inroads, especially since he, when he speaks about his game and he gives them some narrative of what happened in his games for some of the high points that he does. So if someone finds that interesting and cool that you can see as basically going to this post-apocalypse version of Earth where the vampires are in control and going to fight vampires and there's magic involved I mean, which is one of the possible ways of doing for D&D uh, that could be a, a, a avenue for a non to, to be interested
1: Yeah, I read uh, some reviews of the book uh, and I think two of them are important here or it could be useful here and one was that it felt like it would, it could have been two really great books but because they are kind of smushed together it was it wasn't as good as it could have been and in and, and this area like I don't know how much the non-gamers are gonna necessarily uh, stay along with the story of the roots like I care about the war gamer roots because I want to know how the game evolved and what people get out of it but I'm not sure everyone else necessarily would. Uh, and then the other one was that this seemed to be a book that was probably better for uh, significant others, uh, people who play D and D or mm-hmm. something like that, like where they already have some introduction and someone that they can ask questions to. Uh, but they don't; they're, they're not going to geek out about it. And so having a, someone who's used to writing to other audiences or, or speaking to other audiences is useful.
0: Yeah, on on one hand, I feel like it's decently well-written towards the non-gamer audience. Um and then on the other hand, I'm 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 thinking, but is that an audience that exists? <laughs> like like is there really that many non-gamers who really want to know the history of D&D and what it's all about that they're willing to pick up and read a whole uh, you know, 16 chapters of a book to 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 sort through it all? Um I I don't know that that audience exists. I, I suspect that the audience for this book is primarily actually gamers who just want to learn more about the, their own hobby and the history of it. I
2: learned through a light version rather than a heavy, mm-hmm. oh, oh, uh, a heavy historical book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm just curious, since both of you had uh, listened to the book, uh d- Oh for me and I read the book. On the cover for my book under his name it says under David M. 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 Walt it says level fifteen cleric. Does it doesn't mention that in the uh, in the the uh audiobook?
0: Uh it, that kind of stuff comes up, yeah. Um I'm pulling up my audiobook book here. It says it says it on the, the cover art. On the yeah. cover art? Okay.
2: Yeah. That's I was just I was just curious. Yeah. Since but yeah, uh, one thing I had worried though for purposes of the non-gamer and all that is when in the introduction he was saying about that he was going to be using uh, terms from D&D third edition. And I was slightly concerned of like, okay, will he be using very some of the es- esoteric words that are used in the, that are the technical terms? But mm-hmm. I was but I w- I was glad that so far all the terms are pretty much standard, common terms. Yeah, that I.
0: I've- I, I, I agree. I think so far he's made it all very accessible. Yeah, and, and that's where I say I think he did a decent job of writing to the non-gamer audience. I just don't know that there's a non-gamer audience that wants to read the book. Maybe there is, and, and we can yeah. ask him next week how you know what he's heard from the, from the people that have read it. But um and I know maybe there, maybe that's just my perspective because I'm part of the gamer community. So that we, there's a different type of interest. Now, you brought up the introduction, and, and I kind of wanted to talk about that, too. In the introduction, he, he not only talks about the purpose of the book and the audience for the book, but he talks about how when he makes references to the game and, and things in-game and whatever, he's using the 3.5 edition uh, version of the rules. Uh, and so, you know, if you're, if you're going to... Uh, Fight him on on whether or not they're doing things right or whatever. There are certain licenses that are take for for the narrative at the same time, um, and that that's just the edition that they're using and, and whatever, right? Uh, and part of me wonders, okay, so is he waving off all the edition warriors and saying, "Don't give me a hard time. Um, I had to pick something, and this is what I picked," or is he kind of engaging in some edition warring himself? I mean, he he, he's, yes. he, he is certainly yeah. p- declaring some preference for one edition, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, he he's declaring a pre- preference for the, that edition, which is an edition the third edition of D anD. d Which is which is fully is right. I mean, f- folks can state his preference and all that, and and but he also recognizing that yes, there's some edition war that goes on, but basically this is the almost pr- pr- for the purpose of this book because. If he started going and listening to all the different versions of the game, the probably the the notes in the book would probably have be be about double up the the size of this book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess some of some of my questions as to whether or not he's engaging in Edition War might might be. Um... Answered depending on, on where he goes as we approach the end of the game or yeah. in, end, of the, end of the book, I guess, because I don't know how far it goes in the narrative of the history and, and whether it talks about sort of the evolution of the, the different editions and whatever. So, Yeah, because
1: well, sometimes there's like ways that he kind of talks about the game and its development that could be an attempt at objective reporting of of the game development, or it could be kind of a way of addition warning, like talking about how they, they had to add more and more rules, because the problem was is once they started putting out book form, everyone knew all the rules, and you couldn't surprise the players anymore, so you had to have more rules for the DM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, on one hand, that could just be, like, an attempt at, at somewhat objective reporting. On the other hand, it could be, like, it was such a morale, uh, like, the third is better because we cut down on that a bit or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think he was actually trying to do it, but it was one of those things in the back of my mind that I'd like to see how the rest of the book goes to know.
0: Because yeah. part of me wonders if, if he couldn't have done the introduction differently wherein he just talks about, hey, I needed to to use some game mechanics and whatever. Things have been changed for the purpose of the narrative. Um, just deal with it. Not bring up additions at all, yeah. right? um, That That may have inflamed the edition war a little bit less but maybe I'm sensitive to it because I I look for and dislike edition warring so,
2: so well we'll we'll see how he deals because since this was published in 2013 so this is basically d- published during the time when they were working on the current edition of D&D mm-hmm. so some of the
0: well, and if if you can get to the point where you're talking about fourth edition and not engage in edition worrying discussion, then then I can trust that you're not an edition warrior, right? Uh. <laughs> because the the third fourth split I think is the is the real um, inflammation of the edition wars. Yeah,
2: it was pretty much the high point where. So yeah. was, because or so, of so the, far, so far, yeah. that's that's mostly because of increased communications. Abilities, so since there was,
0: anyways, side uh, yeah, side take. good. So right now, I guess we're we're not sure whether he's going to engage in addition warring there, and whether he was honestly just sort of sort of waving it off and and trying to avoid it, or whether he was you know staking his claim and just owning it. So, any other? Uh, I mean, I think we've talked about the the bits that I wanted to talk about and the things that I wanted to bring up. Any other things that? Um, that you guys want to talk about or that you're looking forward to or that we are, we're curious where it's going to go. Anybody else want to find out more about the Nightfall campaign that his DM was running? The Versus the vampires? And yeah, all that. The, the post-apocalyptic Earth vampire. It, it is a
2: cool setting and the fact of using Earth and just going about and doing, doing interesting things mm-hmm. uh, with it. Uh, Sometimes I find it weird when he sort of talks uh, talks about Dini a bit like an, adi- an addiction. Oh, sure. Like when he was in San Francisco and missing his game because he was on job and he was just itching for a game. It's
0: like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's um, I mean, and that's him telling the na- his narrative of his experience, yeah. right? But on the other yeah. hand. Um, he may not be doing the, the hobby much many favors. Yep.
1: <laughs> well, there's like a few areas. Of that too. Sure. Like I, I understand his experience is like wondering, wondering how he can get hotter women, but I don't know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the same time, it's just like, I don't know. I didn't know. It pulled me away from the book. Sure. Well,
0: uh, I get, Tracy, you can write the sequel with your experience.
1: Yeah, well, but it, it's hard because there's, there's to me there's a bunch of those little things like um, Eric and I kind of talked about this on Twitter today. Um, he's in the wargaming section. He's talking about the 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 fact that the people who go to wargaming conventions and stuff skew towards older, uh, less diverse than the surrounding community, mm-hmm. uh, and male. And it was kind of weird because like to me, because when he was talking about the older part, he was saying, "Well, younger people just don't have the amount of money to spend on this, and it's an expensive hobby." But when it got to gender, it was like, "Well, maybe women women just aren't as interested." Instead of saying, "Like, well, you know, there's studies out there that show women have less free time, or or, or other things like that." Hmm. That kind of struck me as
0: yeah. W- why bother um, trying to draw conclusions as to why the demographic is that way if you're not really going to research it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, and it wouldn't have taken. I mean, it would have been more research, but that's what he does, right? He's a reporter. So.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, and it was just it's it's kind of a cliché to me. Uh, reason is just it's the same reason. It's kind of similar to the reason H.G. Wells gave for like titling the book. Um, it was like for for boys and men and like super interested girls or something like that, like. Mm. I forget the exact title I'm very sorry about that, but it's fine uh, <laughs> but like th- there's a call out to a very specific type of girl where it's expected that it's it's gonna be generally um right. interesting to boys and men in general so well,
0: and, and I don't know that he's wrong in in characterizing the demographics of war gamers <laughs> that way. um I do think it tends oh, yeah. to be to be older white guys right yeah. um it's just a, it's just a question of could he have done some more research as to why. If right. you, or just not address why at all you know right. you, you could just say the demographic is this way and we can all sort of agree, with, agree that it is and move on but if you're going to explain why um, then actually find out why
1: yeah and, that, and that's where it's like it's kind of sometimes where you just I feel like he's not doing favors it's just, it, those things seem to be a little I don't know potentially lazier to me uh, and then and, uh, somebody else pointed out I, I read a few reviews that were pointing out that the guy's like uh, he's, the author's trying to say, uh, you know, we're not that nerdy or like, there's, there are really good reasons for D and D. Like it helps you learn. Uh, that's why smart people like it. Cause in part it makes it smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're really not like the, the stereotype you all think. And then he talks about incidents where they are like the stereotype. Right.
0: <laughs> right he does. Uh, and, and, uh, unfortunately the stereotype exists for a reason. Um, but at the same time, it's worth acknowledging that 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 doesn't mean it's the exclusive domain of all of all gamers, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and and that's where we get to, I think, into interesting discussions about um, the larger topic of geeks, because geeks tend to be a lot of geeks tend to be more tech people in in some dimensions, mm-hmm. and. A lot of that whole, like, um, the best tech people are introverts and yada, 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 was actually just created by people. It wasn't like a natural progression. Like, these happen to be the people who got the jobs, and then we created the stereotype. It was, uh, they, they said to companies that you want to hire people who are like this. Oh. Um, it, it, it was... Uh, they, pur- a- they
0: purposely created a community. Like that,
1: yeah, huh? yeah. Okay. So, uh, so those are like the interesting things too. Because up until that point, you actually had a lot of women in tech.
0: Yeah. No, and I, I don't know that that the story of the history of D and D is necessarily that prescribed. Like, I don't know that there was an effort to keep it that way.
1: No, no, no. Yeah.
0: Um, but, but, it, yeah, but,
1: uh, but I think sometimes uh, drawing the conclusions about like because uh, D and D appeals to, does appeal to a lot of, uh, people who are, are creative and Mm -hmm. maybe a little more analytical, Mm -hmm. uh, which happens to overlap, I think, with tech a lot. I know this is a a huge generalization, but that doesn't, um, doesn't necessarily mean that that's all of the community that there is. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you could look at, at the, um, the gender stereotypes of the gaming community as well. And I think, um, while well, there is probably a reason for that stereotype as well. also, um, that is, that is a perpetuated by the early history, and, and there's no reason it has to be that way, right? Um, which, which I think is where we're at now, right? Yes, okay. Historically, traditionally, the demographic is skewed uh, very heavily male, um, but, but we, now we know better. So why do we need to just assume that that's the way it is and always will be?
1: Well, not only that, like, is so part of the question is, is the reason why the early history seems skewed that way is because we, all, we only talk about certain parts of the early history, uh, that therefore reinforcing this belief that that's the way early history was, or mm. is that how it really, like, that's the hard part sometimes. Because I, I know one of my college friends, she played D&D in high school, and she thought d d was a girls' game because she only knew girls who played it. Mm. And, like, th- those sorts of experiences uh, don't seem at least in this point, don't seem
0: to be in the book. Sure, sure. Uh, I, but at the same time, I mean, if we're looking back at the history of, of the game and whatever, um, I mean, right now, where we're at, we're still in, in what, the 70s? Uh, and I think if you were to go to, to the... the vi- early 80s. Are we in the early 80s yet? Uh, but I think if you went to the gaming conventions, I think you, you could definitely say there's a certain demographic right
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, not that there are no women because obviously there were and because uh, there are some that were there and involved in tsr in the early days uh and and so clearly there were but at the same time you can count the you know you can count the employees and you can look at the rosters of the of the conventions and whatever um, and you can certainly start to gather some data that way about the demographics um but I also feel like, but there's no reason for that, right? I've, I've been involved in two gaming groups in my adult life, and, and one of them skewed primarily female and one of them skews primarily male. Um, I've run gaming groups for students in my schools, and, and um, the the big one that I did for, for about a year was primarily female, and really um, the, the females ran that, that group, right? Um so there's no reason that, that going forward we have to assume that, that, that that's where the the culture and the community needs to be. Does that make sense? Yes.
1: Yeah, I just I I think sometimes uh they're not saying that there are equal numbers or anything, yeah, but yeah. there is a bit of a erasure. But there around. are
0: but there are some stories out there that usually don't get told because everybody focuses on the stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Cool. Any other thoughts or things to talk about with the book?
1: How are people dealing with the, the, the switches between the different, I don't know how to put it, I s- styles? Yeah, so or- I,
0: I sort of broke the book up. There's three kind of narratives going on, right? There's the narrative of the in-character Nightfall campaign, there's the narrative of the author's experience getting into and out of and back into gaming, and then there's the historical narrative. Is that what, is that the switch you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I haven't had uh any issues sort of following along if nothing else because I'm listening to the audiobook. Um the author Changes his vocal inflection, at least when he goes on to the in character um, sections, so that it's clear that you know what he's doing now.
1: Yeah, well, I know. I've been zoning out a little bit in the character narrative
0: sections. Oh, have you? I've actually, yeah. been, I've actually been kind of. In, I'm one of those people who who kind of enjoys hearing people's stories about their characters and their campaigns and their stories and all that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't mind that so much. It's just the in character narrative for some reason never. be in
0: enough yeah i kind of want to know more about the campaign um because it's this weird like post-apocalyptic earth but and yet we're all running around with swords and and using magic and whatever um what happened to all the guns and the bombs like why did the vampires just decide that's not okay anymore you know just where'd all the modern technology go there's no reason that i can think that i've heard in the story so far that all that stuff would go away
1: did all the batteries die
0: all the batteries died but and they they just forgot how to make more I, I had no problem in the book, and for the in-character narrative,
2: they he actually in the book in the physical book, it's written in italics, so it, it, it's clear that mm-hmm. oh, this is in setting, uh, in game. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I am I am curious about the use of the Nightfall campaign. On on one hand, um, he's using that as his in-character example. Because that's his campaign, right? That's, his, his, that's also sort of his, him telling about his experience. Um, on the other hand, it is a really non-typical D&D campaign, right? That's, right. That setting is, is not typical of what, of what D&D is. Um, and I'm curious what, what we think about that.
2: I find it's good because since it is using Earth. Someone who is not familiar with the setting of D and D might not. If you were using a typical D and D, like Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or whatever, or Blackmoor mm-hmm. you might they, a non-gamer, which is sort of what he was trying to aim at, mm-hmm. might not get the references. But saying Tokyo, Kyoto, San Francisco, oh, people know about it. Yeah. And so you can possibly get more of a link that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I also keep thinking of like parallels to uh, some of the stuff Shelley that Shelley Manzoni does, mm-hmm. with like uh, Confessions of the Part-Time Sorcerers, where it's talking about. Like, I mean, I think most people who have who really like the standard fantasy setting that a lot of D and D stuff fits in is probably they're, they're probably already going to be d and D player, or at least. This book isn't going to convince them, uh, but if you can bring other types of stories that that, and people see like, oh, you can do a lot more with a twenty-sided die, mm-hmm. uh, that might bring people in. I don't oh, know. Sure.
0: Yeah. On one hand, I, I completely agree, uh, and I like that it highlights the the variety of different kinds of stories you can tell, um, and the different settings you can use, and all those things that, that we that you guys have mentioned. Uh, and then part of me also says, yeah, but somebody's going to read this book and then show up at my table and expect the game to be like that. And it's very seldom is, you know, <laughs> that, that's very seldom the the setting and the campaign and uh, that, that people run.
1: Although, although part of the thing is like, we did kind of standardize on D and D being a certain, certain type of setting for a while, but, and, and, and this, the book does point out like there was a time when there was a lot more gonzo stuff going on in, in,
2: the official D&D stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, uh, in, in, in 82nd Edition, you had so many different campaign settings that existed that you could do. You could do historical stuff, which were well done. You could do uh, your standing Forgotten Realms, Grey, Greyhawk, or you could do Gonzo stuff, like Planescape or Spelljammer, which is basically mm-hmm.
0: D&D in space. So... But none of them used Earth as a setting, and none of them were post-apocalyptic in that way. You know.
1: Yeah, but if they had, if any of them had been around someone who played those things, mm-hmm. they would show up to your table also with different, yeah. a different view of what your D and D game should be. Yeah. Uh,
2: and also, in early eighties, seventies, you had Gamma World, which used a D and D setting, which was mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic and set on Earth.
0: Yeah. Well, it could be set on. Was it? The, the, it was
2: it was set oh. on, it was set on Earth it was uh, gamma terra I believe it they called it but basically oh, yeah. the, uh, the apocalyptic world happened and it, basically the world's got gamma rays and then you have a bunch of mutants and running world. now the latest version that we saw re- released basically said was the protocol accelerator and all the Dimensions mixed up, but it's still post-apocalyptic.
0: Yeah, sure. And I, I mean, you could argue that Dark Sun is also post-apocalyptic, but it's a very different sort of post-apocalyptic setting, right?
2: That's more of a sword and sorcery post-apocalyptic
0: game. Yeah. It's almost uh, the Mad Max, if you will, of, of D&D.
2: Mad Max mixed with Conan. Yeah. So, yeah. So, part
0: of yeah, yeah. this is
1: there isn't any really one D&D
0: no, there's there's not, but there is a a style of game that is much more typical, uh, and it is not, and it is, I, I think there is, um, but that's based on my anecdotal experiences, right? So, um, and, but but it's not night the Nightfall campaign, and I and I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness. My my gut is that that's a strength of of the book. Um, and I don't know that he could have done it differently because he's he introduced us to that through his own experience, that narrative. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm just – I'm curious if people end up having people that get into gaming because of this book and, and show up expecting something completely different than what they get. So
1: Oh, I'm sure because I, there's so many different ways to run the game. Oh, yeah. Or- like if you if you ever decided based on any one person's story to play D&D, chances are the table you're going to show up at is not going to play D&D that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like right now I'm remembering a time in high school where our friends were playing D&D second edition. We decided Forgotten Realms, but we are a group of heroes, we called ourselves the Magical Altered, the Magults, because a spell mm-hmm. had magically permanently altered us so it was like a cross of X-Men but set in a fantasy D&D mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. so and I, I
0: think that's the way to play the game right yeah I've been telling yep. people forever use the published worlds and then completely destroy them and break them and, and, and ruin them that's fine uh. cool well next up we're going to read the second half of this book uh, mm-hmm. anything that we're looking forward to uh, as it goes forward what are you looking for?
2: Looking at the table of contents right oh, now. Oh, you're cheating. You know <laughs> well,
0: it, 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 it's before it's a table of it's, contents. It's in, right before, half, it's in the first half, I suppose. It's the first half, yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Tracy, oh. well, he looks at the table of contents. What are you looking forward to as the book progresses?
1: I, I want to see how much they describe the change from three to three point five.
0: Okay. I don't yeah, and I'm not even sure that it'll get to that point. Yeah, I don't know if it will either.
2: Yeah. Well, there is a chapter called D and D Next near the end.
0: Oh, oh. So, so maybe they maybe they do go all the way up to um, the preparations for the fifth edition. Yeah. Okay. So.
1: Well, and I think they he interviewed uh, was it Rodney Thompson?
0: Oh uh, th- His... yeah, I, I think he uh, spent some time at the WotC offices and probably interviewed several of the guys there.
1: Yeah, I just remember that.
0: Yeah, in the in the parts that we've read so far, he specifically quoted Rodney Thompson at some point. Rodney, yeah. who's no longer at Watsy. everybody yeah. shed, shed a tear. Okay, enough crying. Yeah.
2: So, looking at it, at chapter just by name of chapters, the two ch- chapter titles I, that speaks out to me right now. Just to see what it was. You know, there's death or glory, and the Inn at world's edge. Hmm.
0: Those look like
2: interesting. <laughs> Nothing else, just, just,
0: they, they just chapter them. titles to figure out what the heck it is, huh? Yep. Cool. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how. Um, I mean, knowing that it goes that far, uh, yes. or presumably goes that far, I'll be curious to see how they depict the the second edition days, uh, which, on one hand, um, are oftentimes credited as being sort of the heyday of the game. Right? Is when it was really booming and blowing up, sure. and also, you know, described at some at, at some point at some point in the conversation, uh, oftentimes as being the time that D&D almost died. So somehow the second edition days are both the time that D&D was its greatest and almost fell apart, you know? Right. So, well, so I'm, I'm, I want to sec- sort of put all that narrative uh, together and see how it all plays out.
2: The second edition days were pretty much one of the longest yeah. period from my oh, yeah. recall of D&D. So
1: Yeah. And also, I guess uh, I'm also curious if they cover the OGL at all.
0: Mm, that'll be interesting,
1: and like all the third-party content that came out from that.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I'm I also, imagine it would at least get a mention.
2: Yeah, I'm also curious of how they will mention uh, when uh, other big title games, like when the big surge of Vampire the Masquerade came about and was mm-hmm. competing against D and D at that point in the mm-hmm. time during the '90s, how how will that be depicted in the book? Because mm-hmm. that had a big influence on the industry.
0: Well, and on the same vein, is he going to talk about um, connecting the two topics that you both just mentioned? Is he going to talk about Pathfinder, right? Yeah. Which is a a big game that came out uh, and, and because of the OGL. Yep. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Very good.
1: It's Pathfinder D&D? Uh,
0: is it? I don't know.
1: I don't know. That was one of the questions people were very interested in me answering like a couple years ago.
0: Oh yeah, I mean that's a, that is a perpetual question, and it is one that I don't have the answer to. <laughs> uh, that depends. Are you playing it? If the answer is yes, do you think it's D and D? Fine, then it's D and D to me because because it's, it's it's a lot D and D.
1: Is anything else?
0: No, I think we're good. Okay.
1: okay, so that's the end of this episode of the Tome Show Book Club.
0: We want to say thank you to Eric M. Paquette, who we didn't introduce, because he's always here.
2: They just keep him in the closet.
0: <laughs> Take him out and brush him off once a month when oh. it's time to talk about books.
2: Yeah.
0: We also want to thank our listeners for using the affiliate links over at Amazon and D and D Classics, which you can find on our website.
1: And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E.
0: And those affiliate links and uh, our show notes and other great Tome Show shows can all be found over at thetomeshow.com. That's show, thetomeshow, all one big word, dot .com. That's our thoughts on the first half of Dyson Men. We'll be back next month finishing up the book and talking to the author. Until then, keep turning the page, tomites.
1: I'm walk.